The Angel of the Odd by Edgar Allan Poe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Patrick Lockhart. It was a chilly November afternoon. I had just consummated an unusually hearty dinner, of which the dyspeptic trough formed not the least important item, and was sitting alone in the dining-room. With my feet upon the fender, and at my elbow a small table which I had rolled up to the fire, and upon which were some apologies for dessert, with some miscellaneous bottles of wine, spirit, and liquor. In the morning I had been reading Glover's Leonidas, Wilkie's Epiconiad, Lamartine's Pilgrimage, Barlow's Columbiad, Tuckerman's Sicily, and Griswold's Curiosities. I am willing to confess, therefore, that I now felt a little stupid. I made effort to arouse myself by frequent aid of Lafitte, and, all failing, I betook myself to a stray newspaper in despair. Having carefully perused the column of Houses to Let, and the column of Dogs Lost, and then the columns of Wives and Apprentices Run Away, I attacked with great resolution the editorial matter, and reading it from beginning to end without understanding a syllable, conceived the possibility of its being Chinese, and so reread it from the end to the beginning, but with no more satisfactory result. I was about throwing it away in disgust, this folio of four pages, happy work which not even the critics criticize, when I felt my attention somewhat aroused by the paragraph which follows. The avenues to death are numerous and strange. A London paper mentions the decease of a person from a singular cause. He was playing at Puff the Dart, which had played with a long needle inserted in some worsted, and blown at a target through a tin tube. He placed the needle at the wrong end of the tube, and drawing his breath strongly to puff the dart forward with force, drew the needle into his throat. It entered the lungs, and in a few days killed him. Upon seeing this I fell into a great rage, without exactly knowing why. This thing, I exclaimed, is a contemptible falsehood, a poor hoax, the lees of the invention of some pitiable penny-liner, of some wretched concoctor of accidents in cocaine. These fellows, knowing the extravagant gullibility of the age, set their wits to work in the imagination of improbable possibilities, of odd accidents, as they termed them. But to a reflecting intellect like mine, I added, in parentheses, putting my forefinger unconsciously to the side of my nose, to a contemplative understanding such as I myself possess, it seems evident at once that the marvellous increase of late in these odd accidents is by far the oddest accident of all. For my own part, I intend to believe nothing henceforward that has anything of the singular about it. Mein Gott, then! What a fool you bees for that! replied one of the most remarkable voices I have ever heard. At first I took it for a rumbling in my ears, such as a man sometimes experiences when getting very drunk. But upon second thought, I considered the sound as more nearly resembling that which proceeds from an empty barrel, beaten with a big stick. And, in fact, this I should have concluded it to be, but for the articulation of the syllables and words. I am by no means naturally nervous and the very few glasses of Lafitte which I had sipped served to embolden me a little, so that I felt nothing of trepidation, but merely uplifted my eyes with a leisurely movement and looked carefully around the room for the intruder. I could not, however, perceive any one at all. Humph! resumed the voice as I continued my survey. 
you must be so drunk as the pig then for not see me as I sit here by your side. Hereupon I bethought me of looking immediately before my nose, and there, sure enough, confronting me at the table, sat a personage nondescript, although not altogether indescribable. His body was a wine-pipe, or a rum-puncheon, or something of that character, and had a truly Falstaffian air. In its neither extremity were inserted two kegs, which seemed to answer all the purposes of legs. For arms there were dangled from the upper portion of the carcass two tolerably long bottles with the necks outward for hands. All the head that I saw of the monster possessed of was one of those Hessian canteens, which resemble a large snuff-box, with a hole in the middle of the lid. This canteen, with a funnel on its top like a cavalier cap slouched over the eyes, was set on edge upon the puncheon, with a hole toward myself. And through this hole, which seemed puckered up like the mouth of a very precise old maid, the creature was emitting certain rumbling and grumbling noises which he evidently intended for intelligible talk. "'I say,' said he, "'you must be drunk as de pig, for zit there and not zee me zit here. And I say, do, you must be bigger fool as de goose, for to disbelieve what is print in de print. Tis de truth that it is every word of it.' "'Who are you, I pray?' said I, with much dignity, although somewhat puzzled. "'How did you get here, and what is it you're talking about?' "'As for how I come here,' replied the figure, "'that is none of your business. "'As for what I be talking about, I be talk about what I think proper. "'And as for who I be, why, that is the very thing I come for to let you see for yourself.' "'You're a drunken vagabond,' said I, "'and I shall ring the bell and order my footman to kick you into the street.' <laughs> said the fellow. <laughs> that you can't do. Can't do, said I. What do you mean, I can't do what? Ring the bell, he replied, attempting a grin with his little villainous mouth. Upon this I made an effort to get up in order to put my threat into execution. But the ruffian just reached across the table, very deliberately, and hitting me a tap on the forehead with the neck of one of the long bottles, knocked me back into the armchair from which I had half arisen. I was utterly astounded, and for a moment was quite at a loss what to do. In the meantime he continued his talk. "'You see,' said he, "'it is best for sit still, and now you shall know who I be. Look at me. See, I am the angel of the art.' "'And art enough, too,' I ventured to reply. "'But I was always under the impression that an angel had wings.' "'The wing!' he cried, highly incensed. What I be do to meet the wing? Mein Gott, you take me for a chicken? No, no, I replied, much alarmed. You're no chicken, certainly not. Well then, sit still and behave yourself, or I'll wrap you again mid the visit. It is the chicken ab the wing, on the owl ab the wing, on the imp ab the wing, on the head truffle ab the wing, the angel ab not the wing, and I am the angel of the art. "'And your business with me at present is—is—' "'Me business!' ejaculated the thing. "'Why, what a low-bred puppy you must be for to ask a gentleman and an angel about his business!' This language was rather more than I could bear, even from an angel. So plucking up courage, I seized a salt-cellar which lay within reach, and hurled it at the head of the intruder. Either he dodged, however, or my aim was inaccurate, for all I accomplished was to demolish the crystal which protected the dial of the clock upon the mantelpiece. As for the angel, 
He evinced his sense of my assault by giving me two or three hard consecutive raps upon the forehead as before. Hereupon the angel of the odd replenished my goblet, which was about a third full of port, with a colorless fluid that he poured from one of his hand-bottles. I observed that these bottles had labels about their necks, and that these labels were inscribed Kirschenwasser. The considerate kindness of the angel mollified me in no little measure, and, aided by the water which he diluted my port more than once, I at length regained sufficient temper to listen to his very extraordinary discourse. I cannot pretend to recount all that he told me, but I gleaned from what he said that he was a genius who presided over the contretemps of mankind, and whose business it was to bring about the odd accidents which are continually astonishing the sceptic. Once or twice, upon my venturing to express my total incredulity in respect to his pretensions, he grew very angry indeed, so that at length I considered it the wiser policy to say nothing at all, and let him have his own way. He talked on, therefore, at great length, while I merely leaned back in my chair with my eyes shut and amused myself with munching raisins and flipping the stems about the room. But, by and by, the angel suddenly construed this behavior of mine into contempt. He rose in a terrible passion, slouched his funnel down over his eyes, swore a vast oath, uttered a threat of some character, which I did not precisely comprehend, and finally made me a low bow and departed, wishing me, in the language of the archbishop in Gilbas, beaucoup de bon air et un peu plus de bon sens. His departure afforded me relief. The very few glasses of Lafitte that I had sipped had the effect of rendering me drowsy, and I felt inclined to take a nap of some fifteen or twenty minutes, as is my custom after dinner. At six I had an appointment of consequence, which it was quite indispensable that I should keep. The policy of insurance for my dwelling-house had expired the day before, and some dispute having arisen it was agreed that, at six, I should meet the board of directors of the company and settle the terms of a renewal. Glancing upward at the clock on the mantelpiece, for I felt too drowsy to take out my watch, I had the pleasure to find that I still had twenty-five minutes to spare. It was half-past five. I could easily walk to the insurance office in five minutes, and my usual siestas had never been known to exceed five-and-twenty. I felt sufficiently safe, therefore, and composed myself to my slumbers forthwith. Having completed them to my satisfaction, I again looked toward the timepiece, and was half inclined to believe in the possibility of odd accidents when I found that, instead of my ordinary fifteen or twenty minutes, I had been dozing only three, for it still wanted seven and twenty of the appointed hour. I betook myself again to my nap, and at length the second time awoke, when, to my utter amazement, it still wanted twenty-seven minutes of six. I jumped up to examine the clock, and found that it had ceased running. My watch informed me that it was half-past seven and, of course, having slept two hours, I was too late for my appointment. It will make no difference, I said. I can call at the office in the morning and apologize. In the meantime, what can be the matter of the clock? Upon examining it, I discovered that one of the raisin stems, which I had been filliping about the room during the discourse of the Angel of the Odd, had flown through the fractured crystal, and, lodging singularly enough, in the keyhole, with an end projecting outward, had thus arrested the revolution of the minute-hand. "'Ah,' said I, "'I see how it is. This thing speaks for itself. A natural accident, such as will happen now and then.' I gave the matter no further consideration, and at my usual hour retired to bed, here having placed a candle upon a reading-stand at the bed-head, and having made an attempt to peruse some pages of the omnipresence of the deity. I unfortunately fell asleep in less than twenty seconds, leaving the light burning as it was. My dreams were terribly disturbed by visions of the angel of the odd. 
Methought he stood at the foot of the couch, drew aside the curtains, and in the hollow, detestable tones of a rum puncheon menaced me with the bitterest vengeance for the contempt which I had treated him. He concluded a long harangue by taking off his funnel cap, inserting the tube into my gullet, and thus deluging me with an ocean of Kirschenwasser, which he poured in a continuous flood from one of the long-necked bottles that stood him instead of an arm. My agony was at length insufferable, and I awoke just in time to perceive that a rat had run off with a lighted candle from the stand, but not in season to prevent his making his escape with it through the hole. Very soon a strong, suffocating odor assailed my nostrils. The house, I clearly perceived, was on fire. In a few minutes the blaze broke forth with violence, and in an incredibly brief period the entire building, all egress from my chamber, except through a window, was cut off. The crowd, however, quickly procured and raised a long ladder. By means of this I was descending rapidly, and in apparent safety, when a huge hog, about whose rotund stomach, and indeed about whose whole air and physiognomy, there was something which reminded me of the angel of the odd, when this hog, I say, which hitherto had been quietly slumbering in the mud, took it suddenly into its head that his left shoulder needed scratching, and could find no more convenient rubbing post than that afforded by the foot of the ladder. In an instant I was precipitated, and had the misfortune to fracture my arm. This accident, with the loss of my insurance, and the more serious loss of my hair, the whole of which had been singed off by the fire, predisposed me to serious impressions, so that finally I made up my mind to take a wife. There was a rich widow, disconsolate for the loss of her seventh husband, and to her wounded spirit I offered the balm of my vows she yielded a reluctant consent to my prayers. I knelt at her feet in gratitude and adoration. She blushed and bowed her luxuriant tresses in close contact with those supplied me temporarily by Grand Jean. I know not how the entanglement took place, but so it was. I arose with a shining pate, wigless, she in disdain and wrath, half buried in alien hair. Thus ended my hopes of the widow by an accident which could not have been anticipated, to be sure but which the natural sequence of events had brought about. Without despairing, however, I undertook the siege of a less implacable heart. The fates were again propitious for a brief period, but again a trivial incident interfered. Meeting my betrothed in an avenue thronged with the elite of the city, I was hastening to greet her with one of my best-considered bows, when a small particle of some foreign matter lodging in the corner of my eye rendered me for the moment completely blind. Before I could recover my sight, the lady of my love had disappeared, irreparably affronted at what she chose to consider my premeditated rudeness in passing her by ungreeted. While I had stood bewildered at the suddenness of this accident, which might have happened nevertheless to any one under the sun, and while I still continued incapable of sight, I was accosted by the angel of the odd, who proffered me his aid with a civility which I had no reason to expect. He examined my disordered eye with much gentleness and skill, informed me that I had a drop in it, and, whatever a drop was, took it out and afforded me relief. I now considered it high time to die, since fortune had so determined to persecute me, and accordingly made my way to the nearest river. Here, divesting myself of my clothes, for there is no reason why we cannot die as we were born, I threw myself headlong into the current sole witness of my fate being a solitary crow that had been seduced into the eating of brandy-saturated corn, and so had staggered away from his fellows. 
No sooner had I entered the water than this bird took it into his head to fly away with the most indispensable portion of my apparel. Postponing, therefore, for the present, my suicidal design, I just slipped my nether extremities into the sleeves of my coat, and betook myself to a pursuit of the felon with all the nimbleness which the case required, and its circumstances would admit. But my evil destiny attended me still. As I ran at full speed, with my nose up in the atmosphere, and intent only upon the purloiner of my property, I suddenly perceived that my feet rested no longer upon terra firma. The fact is, I had thrown myself over a precipice, and should inevitably have been dashed to pieces but for my good fortune in grasping the end of a long guide-rope, which depended from a passing balloon. As soon as I sufficiently recovered my senses to comprehend the terrific predicament in which I stood, or rather hung, I exerted all the power of my lungs to make that predicament known to the aeronaut overhead. But for a long time I exerted myself in vain. Either the fool could not, or the villain would not, perceive me. Meanwhile the machine rapidly soared, while my strength even more rapidly failed. I was soon upon the point of resigning myself to my fate, and dropping quietly into the sea, when my spirits were suddenly revived by hearing a hollow voice from above, which seemed to be lazily humming an opera. Looking up, I perceived the angel of the odd. He was leaning with his arms folded over the rim of the car, and with a pipe in his mouth at which he puffed leisurely, seemed to be upon excellent terms with himself and the universe. I was too much exhausted to speak, so I merely regarded him with an imploring air. For several minutes, although he looked me full in the face, he said nothing. At length, removing carefully his meerschaum from the right to the left corner of his mouth, he condescended to speak. "'Who be you?' he asked. "'On what der tuffel you be to dare?' To this piece of impudence, cruelty, and affectation, I could reply only by ejaculating the monosyllable, "'Help!' "'Help!' echoed the ruffian. "'Not I. There is the bottle. Help yourself, and be damned!' With these words he let fall a heavy bottle of Kirschenwasser, which, dropping precisely upon the crown of my head, caused me to imagine that my brains were entirely knocked out. Impressed with this idea, I was about to relinquish my hold and give up the ghost with a good grace, when I was arrested by the cry of the angel, who bade me hold on. "'Hold on!' he said. "'Don't be in a hurry. Don't! Will you be to take all the bottle? Or have you got to be sober yet? Or come to your senses?' I made haste, thereupon, to nod my head twice once in the negative, meaning thereby that I would prefer not taking the other bottle at present, and once in the affirmative, intending thus to imply that I was sober and had positively come to my senses. By these means I somewhat softened the angel. "'On you belief, ten, he inquired. "'At the last you believe, ten, in the possibility of the art.' I again nodded my head in assent. "'And you have belief in me?' The angel of the odd. I nodded again. And you acknowledge that you be the blind drunk and the fool. I nodded once more. Put your right hand into your left breeches pocket, then, in token of your full submission unto the angel of the odd. This thing, for very obvious reasons, I found it quite impossible to do. In the first place, my left arm had been broken in my fall from the ladder and therefore, had I let go my hold with my right hand, I must have let go altogether. In the second place, I could have no breeches until I came across the crow. 
and I was therefore obliged, much in my regret, to shake my head in the negative, intending thus to give the angel to understand that I found it inconvenient, just at that moment, to comply with his very reasonable demand. No sooner, however, had I ceased shaking my head than— "'Go to Tartuffelten!' roared the angel of the odd. In pronouncing these words he drew a sharp knife across the guide-rope by which I was suspended, and as we then happened to be precisely over my own house, which, during my peregrinations, had been handsomely rebuilt, it so occurred that I tumbled headlong down the ample chimney and lit upon the dining-room hearth. Upon coming to my senses, for the fall had very thoroughly stunned me, I found it about four o'clock in the morning. I lay outstretched where I had fallen from the balloon. My head groveled in the ashes of an extinguished fire, while my feet reposed upon the wreck of a small table, overthrown, and amid the fragments of a miscellaneous desert, intermingled with a newspaper, some broken glasses and shattered bottles, and an empty jug of the Scheidum Kirschenwasser. Thus revenged himself the Angel of the Odd. End of The Angel of the Odd Recording by David Patrick Lockhart, Hampton, Virginia, USA